Love and Respect Marriage Conference. Other things that are there in the e-bulletin as well, lots of things that are taking place. I want you to review it, as I said, but we do want to get into our Bible study this morning. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, as we are in this section of Matthew that, as most of you know, is called the Olivet Discourse, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples as they came to Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and they asked them about the signs of the end, the end of the age, and of his coming. So that's what we've been looking at, this private teaching that Jesus has been given to his disciples. Particularly, it was Peter and Andrew and James and John, those two sets of brothers that came to Jesus asking him, is what Mark's narrative tells us. And I'm sure, I just have a feeling that the rest of the disciples are there listening in on what Jesus is saying. And as we've gone as far as uh, verse 29, let's read it this morning of chapter 24 of Matthew, that Jesus is speaking here, and he says that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of, of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So let's pray. Father, as we go through this section of scripture, Lord, we do pray that you would take your word and work it deep within our hearts. Lord, help us to remember to turn off our ringers, off our phones. We want to be attentive. We want to be able to hear. And Lord, we want to be able to take in. Because these are very important words of Jesus. And as we come into this place, perhaps hurting, or those that we know who are hurting, Lord, we know that in our own fellowship, we pray for Gail Fritz and her family as Gail lost her husband this week. And Lord, we're grateful that Bill's gone home to be with you. But they're still lost and they're still mourning. We pray that you be with with Gail and the family, those who are suffering from cancer, from physical infirmities, Lord, we just pray that you would bring, Lord, healing, strength to them. Lord, those who are going through difficulties, and as we talk about the tribulation period here, some are going through their own tribulation. They're going through their, their own upheaval and difficulties. And so, Lord, I just pray that that, Lord, we would know that you care for us. You have a wonderful promise for us that you're going to come back and we're going to be with you for all eternity. So, Lord, bless this time as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Jesus, as you know, began this teaching uh, in um, saying, concerning the signs of the end of the age and of his coming, that there's going to be birth pangs. It's going to include deception, false Christs and prophets deceiving many with great signs and wonders. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. There's going to be persecution and there's lawlessness. And the love of many is going to grow cold. And it's interesting, that word love there 
in Matthew 24 is agape, God's love. So the love of God is going to, or the love that God gives to us, agape love, uh, love that uh, only comes from him is going to grow cold as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And as I have told you that to get a full account of this teaching of Jesus, you have to also read Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. And it's interesting that Dr. Luke, he records in the Olivet Discourse that Jesus says that part of the signs is going to be, first of all, there's going to be distress of nations with perplexity. Uh, also that the seas and the waves are going to be roaring. And men's hearts are going to be failing them from fear. So nations are going to be facing circumstances and situations to where they don't know what to do. It means literally that they are in a tight spot, really with nowhere to go. It means that they'll be at wit's end or at a loss and no way out. And we certainly see that today with the, the things that have happened in our world in Afghanistan in the last month, falling to uh, a terrorist organization, the Taliban. Uh, we see what's going on in the Middle East, uh, in Syria, in Iraq, the upheaval. In Iran, as they're desiring to enrich more uranium to where the experts are saying that they'll be able to produce a nuclear weapon in just a few weeks. We don't know if that's true or not, but we're going to see. And this is a nation that their foreign policy is driven by believing that they are going to usher in the 12th Iman, the Islamic Messiah that's going to destroy the great Satan, the United States, and the little Satan, Israel. So all these things that we looked at, uh, and as we have discussed, nations that sponsor terror groups, you know, the economic upheaval, uh, COVID that continues to ravish not only our nation, but other parts of the world. And with our nation, what do you do with nearly $30 trillion in debt? How do you get out of that? The drug problems, the immorality. We face huge problems, and they will increase is what the Bible has given indication to us in frequency and will culminate to where the world's going to turn to a leader that John calls him the Antichrist. He comes against Christ, but also that word anti has the meaning of comes in, in place of Christ. And the world will look to him. He seemingly is going to solve the problems of the world, but he will lead the world into a major disaster, into devastation, as his true colors will be revealed. The seas and the waves are going to roar. Some have suggested that it is speaking of nations, since the scripture, the sea is symbolic of nations, particularly Gentile nations, or it could be talking literally of hurricanes and tsunamis and typhoons. We've seen that over the last month, what has happened in our own nation with a couple of hurricanes hitting the Gulf Coast. Uh, flooding, people have died. Men's hearts failing them is what Luke said because of fear. It literally means to be so scared that you can't catch your breath terrible and terrifying events. And there are people that you talk to, that I talk to, maybe you're here and you're really afraid of the future. What's going to happen? That I have fear. And it may not be because you look around and you see the tsunamis and you see the upheaval and, and all the things taking place. Maybe the circumstances that you're going through in life or the trials or the difficulties. 
or you do wonder what's going to happen in this world how, how are my kids going to grow up in this world what's going to happen to them as we see all these things we become fearful but i want to remind you that those of us who are in christ which is a vast majority of us that have come through the services this morning that we don't have to have the spirit of fear even as paul wrote to timothy paul in his last days he said we god hasn't given us the spirit of fear but of power and love and of sound mind and i know that you've heard that verse quoted especially in the last year and a half but we don't have to have a spirit of fear because we have a wonderful future for us that's ahead for us for us who are believers we have the blessed hope amen and we have the hope of heaven and we have a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ so even though we go through the trials and difficulties jesus said you will have tribulation small t but be of good cheer for i've overcome the world that we can have that spirit of just assurance and peace and joy unspeakable because we have the Lord in our hearts and we have his promises that he's going to come back. So as Jesus is talking about all these things, he talks about that period of time that we call the tribulation period. Most of you know about that period, that final seven-year period, right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he will come back literally and physically, and he will establish his kingdom. And it's called Daniel's 70th week. And it's a seven-year period, and in the middle of that period, of that seven years, Jesus, as we saw in verse 15, he says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, then get out of there. There's going to be great tribulations such as not been since the beginning of the world, nor ever will be. If you're on the rooftop, you need to come down, you need to flee. If you're in the field, you know, don't pack a bag. Pray that it's not on the Sabbath or in winter. So Jesus is telling us of the things that are going to happen concerning and surrounding his coming. Now keep in mind, as we talk about the prophetic events of the second coming of Jesus, that the tribulation period is told to us in detail in Revelations chapter 6 through 19, where not only does the lawless one, the man of sin, the son of perdition, John calls him the Antichrist, is going to take center stage, but also as he takes center stage, the abomination of desolation, again, you can review it if it's new to you, that it's when he goes in the middle of that seven-year period, after three and a half years, he will go into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. He will proclaim himself as God, to be worshipped as God in the temple of God. And he's directly influenced by Satan himself. And that's something that Satan has always wanted, isn't it? He's always wanted to be worshipped. He, he was taken up on the mountain by Satan. And one of the temptations of Jesus was, you bow down and worship me is what Satan said, and I'll give you all of these kingdoms. We, we know that Lucifer, Isaiah tells us, that he rebelled against God, wanted to exalt himself as God, to sit on the throne of God, and rebelled and became Satan. He became, you know, Satan who is the God little g of this world. So we know that he's always wanted to be worshipped, and he's going to command the world to worship him at that time. And he's going to persecute those who will not take his mark. They will not be able to buy or sell. That's Revelation chapter 13. But also he's going to persecute those 
who will reject him. There's indication that the Jews will reject him. They will say, we will not worship your image that you set up there in the Holy of Holies. We reject you. You're not our Messiah. He will persecute them very heavily. They will flee to the rock city of Petra, Revelation chapter 12, but also the tribulation saints. The tribulation saints that are come to faith in the tribulation period. Now, I want to remind you, again, for those of you that this might be new to you and a little bit overwhelming, that when we talk about the return of the Lord, there's two distinct events that we talk about. There's, first of all, the rapture of the church. You can write this down, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, that the Lord himself will come and he will receive us to himself. That, that we here alive and remain will be caught up. It's the Greek word harpazo, which is the Latin word rapturus, to meet the Lord in the air. So the Lord tells us that there's going to be a generation of Christians that are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so I believe that's going to take place before that seven-year period called the tribulation period. That also begins the day of the Lord. You read about that term in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament as well. The second event is the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're reading about here in these verses 29 through 31, where he comes back literally, physically, touches down on this mount that he's teaching from. The Mount of Olives, according to the book of Zechariah, will split in half, and there he will establish his kingdom. We have the national restoration of Israel, a spiritual restoration that will take place, and he will establish his kingdom where we will rule and reign with him. So the rapture of the church that we're going to talk about more next week, I believe as we look at scripture, he says, I come at a time where you're least expected. I come at a time that you do not know. He repeats that over and over and over again. And in the New Testament, we have the doctrine of imminent return, to be looking, to be watching, to be prepared, because it's the coming of the Lord is like a thief in the night. Matter of fact, concerning the coming of the Lord, that in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said that, that the Son of Man, when he's revealed, is going to be like the day of Noah. We will see that next time. They ate and they drank and they married wives until that day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be like the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on that day that we know that Noah was put into the ark and the Lord closed the door and sealed the door, that his family was there, but then judgment would come as the rains fell upon the earth. On that day, as you read the book of Genesis, they went out of Sodom, Lot. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. You see, just as judgment came in the days of Noah and Lot, they were not expecting it. When you read Genesis chapter 19, even Lot's family thought that this judgment isn't going to come. The angels came to Lot and said, you and your family, you need to get out. You need to get out of Sodom here because judgment's going to come. And, and they lingered, and, and Lot's family didn't think it was true. He told his son-in-laws, they said, oh, it isn't going to happen. And the Lord was merciful to Lot and brought him outside of the city. The angels saying to Lot, listen, hurry, I cannot do anything until you are out of the city. And I find that very significant because, you see, I believe Lot, who is called righteous Lot in Peter's epistle, is a picture of you and me, who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
We will be taken out of the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. We will be removed, and then God will be pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. Again, you see that in Revelations chapter 6 through 19. And again, to remind you, as Paul makes this distinction concerning the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord beginning with the tribulation period, seven years, the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of that seven-year period, and then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. When you read about the day of the Lord, Paul writes that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night and when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction comes upon them and then the contrast he says but you brethren you're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief you're sons of the light you're sons of the day not of the night or darkness for God did not appoint us to wrath but to attain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ so we're not going to experience the wrath of God that's being poured out on a Christ rejected world that we are going to be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation that's going to come upon the whole earth. Revelation chapter 3, the promise to the church of Philadelphia. And there's going to be one time when tribulation or trial is going to come upon the whole earth. And that's when? During the tribulation period. So we see the doctrine of imminent return. Again, we're going to talk more about it because Jesus is going to continue and say, listen, you need to be prepared. You need to be watching because it has come at a time that you do not know. I come at a time that you're least expected. And the tribulation period happens and the armies gathered there in the valley of Megiddo. We know that Jesus is going to be coming back in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the rapture of the church where we're going to meet the Lord in the air, that, that is going to happen before the tribulation, I believe, is what the scripture is teaching us. And that's when he comes for his church. The second coming that's being spoken of here is when he comes with his church. We're going to come back with him. So Jesus, in, as we read in Luke's account, that he concluded the teaching by saying this, that watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. In other words, these things, as Luke was talking about the tribulation period, that they will come to pass. Not that they might come to pass, or it's a possibility, or this is just all symbolic, or this is just allegories. It will come to pass. And he will reiterate this, as we've already seen, uh, in a few verses as we continue reading. So these things will come to pass. He says, you pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass what things Luke was talking about the tribulation period hey don't be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of life that that day that is the day of the Lord you know come upon you unexpectedly for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth people will say to you and to me that believe in the rapture of the church I believe that the Lord can come for us in the rapture of the church at any time there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. That's why we're being told to watch, to be ready, a thief in the night. Make sure that you understand that I come at a time where you're least expected. So let me ask you guys this. Do you believe that the Lord could come back today or tomorrow or this week? And be careful, you know, because those who say no, you know, he said, I come when you're least expected. I come in an hour you do not know. So the imminent return of Christ is all over the New Testament. That's the rapture of the church. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. People are going to come and say to you, you who believe that the rapture can happen at any time, you just want to stick your head in the sand and you just want to escape, you know. Well, 
I'll take the escape, okay? Do you want to be here when the tribulation period happens? Jesus said there's a way of escape, all right? Pray always that you may be able to, to escape those things, uh, count it worthy to escape all those things that will come to pass. And how are we worthy? By coming to Jesus Christ. So we're still in that period of grace in the church age, and I believe that the Lord can come for us. But as we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, as we read once again in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So Jesus saying the final aspect of the tribulation period is that there's going to be great cataclysmic events in the heavens. Again, we see Luke chapter 21 mentions that. Isaiah chapter 13 verses 9 and 10. Let me read it to you. You can write it down and look it up later. But behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it from the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light and the sun will be darkened and it's going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine and I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. We know that Jeremiah wrote about this time. Ezekiel, we just saw it in Joel, Zephaniah, the other prophets that speak about the sun, the heavens being darkened before the day of the judgment of the Lord. And I want you to remember this, that there are sometimes you'll see things, if you're on social media or different websites, that will come along and they will say, hey, Revelation chapter 12, the aligning of the constellations, that it's going to be fulfilled, and or they'll say a blood moon is coming and they'll quote from Joel chapter 2 they'll quote from you know the Olivet Discourse they'll quote from Revelation chapter 6 keep this in mind listen we are not in the day of the Lord will you remember that when people talk about taking the mark of the beast you know if you get vaccinated or things like that we are not in the day of the Lord the day of the Lord begins with the Antichrist coming on the scene, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, as the rider on the white horse, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, that that final week, the 70th week of Daniel, begins with the Antichrist making a covenant with Israel for one week, seven years. We are not in the day of the Lord. Please remember that. Keep everything in context. Because if you don't, and well-meaning even Bible teachers will quote from Joel chapter 2, the you know, moon turning to blood and the sun being darkened and all these things, that will happen in the day of the Lord. So we're not in that period. So be careful about those things that come out. Keep everything in context. And at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus will come back. Jesus makes it very clear that he will come back, as we saw last time in verse 27, as lightning flashing from the east to the west. Uh, we were coming back from the airport on Monday from Florida, and those storms came in on Monday night, and as we were traveling home, you could see all the lightning across up north and out east. And I love lightning storms. I could watch lightning all day long. It just, to me, it just fascinates me. Uh, it's amazing. And when there is a lightning storm, and we get to see those lightning storms in this part of the country, that, you know, we all see it. It's very clear, isn't it? So there are those who will come along, and they will say, that as they, you know, 
throughout church history, and uh, they will say, well, the Lord's going to come back on this day. And then when he didn't come back in their false prophecies as their, you know, date setting and all of this, they'll say, well, the Lord came back in secret. Or the Lord came back spiritually. You can dismiss that because he says that he's going to come back as lightning flashing from the east to the west. Every eye will see. He will come in great power and glory. He's coming with the clouds. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Now, there's been all kinds of speculation. What is the sign uh, that he's going to appear in heaven? I think it's linked to what he's speaking about here of Jesus coming in great power and glory. Like Lightning flashing across the sky. All the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. Why? Because they know that judgment is coming. In Revelation chapter 19, when he comes back, the armies that are fighting each other will stop and gather together to make war with him, with Jesus. Again, many of you, you know the prophecy. He will speak, and out of his mouth comes a sword. The word of God is what? Sharper than any two-edged sword. He's simply going to speak and destroy those armies that are going to come against him. He said, if the days had not been shortened, man would have destroyed himself. And, and he will then judge the nations, as we will see in the next chapter, and then establish his kingdom. The Valley of Megiddo, of Jezreel, in northern Israel, when the nations of the world in that last world war gathered. Some of you that have gone with us to Israel and our trips to Israel, to stand there and overlook that valley is so sobering. It's, it's, and to read the Bible knowing that this is going to happen. This is where it's all going to end. But then Jesus is going to come down the valley there in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to come back. And he's going to establish his kingdom. So as we read this, you know, the depravity of man, to think that he can stop Jesus from coming back. Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. What is meant by that? Is he talking about literal clouds? Uh, as we uh, consider this, is, are we talking about cumulus clouds, nimbus clouds? Now you recall in Acts chapter 1, that when Jesus ascended into heaven, we read that a cloud received him and those witnesses of the ascension of Jesus into heaven were told that this same Jesus who is taken up from you in heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So he will come through the clouds. So literal clouds? Or could it be speaking of a cloud of witnesses? Jude tells us that behold he comes with ten thousands of his saints. Revelation chapter 19 again speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ that he's coming with the armies of God. Or could it be a reference to the glory of God? We know in the book of Exodus that the children of Israel were led by the Shekinah glory of God, the pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. When Moses was up on Mount Sinai, a cloud of glory, the glory of the Lord covered a mountain. So it speaks of the Shekinah glory of God. So what cloud is being referred to here in Matthew? Literal clouds? The saints? The glory of God? Which is it? I personally believe that it's all three. All three are spoken about in Scripture. He will come back through the clouds. He will come back with the saints. And he will come back, verse 30, what? In great glory and power. I think all three are true. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So when Jesus comes back, he will gather those who have survived the tribulation period that are believers. Now keep in mind again, 
Romans chapter 11, that Paul says in the restoration of Israel, a national spiritual restoration, that they're going to recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. Remember that Jesus weeping over Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23, that he said that your house is left to you desolate, and you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is speaking of that time when their eyes are going to be opened up and we know that they will come a national restoration as Romans chapter 11, Paul writes in that day that all of Israel will be saved. So there are those who will say, well, it's being spoken of literally of Israel, of the national restoration that will take place. I won't argue with that. We know that they will be gathered, that in the Old Testament, Israel is called his elect. But I also believe that it's speaking of those who come to faith, the tribulation saints. Keep in mind that many are going to come to the Lord in the tribulation period from every tribe, peoples, nations, and tongues, that they will be gathered unto the Lord. And they will move into the, to the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, and they will populate the world. And as Jesus rules and reigns, he will do it for a thousand years from Jerusalem. And here's the exciting thing, that we get to rule and reign with him. And listen. In the next couple of weeks, as he continues teaching, we're going to see how important it is that we invest in the things of God. The things that have been entrusted to us is going to determine what we do as we rule and reign with Christ. In the parable of the talents, in the parable of the minas, that Luke chapter 19, he tells very similar parables that are a little different. But in Luke chapter 19, as they're getting ready to go from Jericho to that ascent up to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus makes his triumphal entry, Luke tells us that they're expecting the kingdom of God to be ushered in immediately. So Jesus stops and he says, hey, a nobleman went to receive a, uh, his, you know, to receive a country, to receive his, his uh, rule. And he gave a mina to each one of his servants. And he came back and they had to give an account of what was given to them, how they invested that mina. The parable of the talents, same thing. And the servants that invested what was given to them by the master, the Lord said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you rule over many things. In the parable of the minas, he says, you're going to rule over five cities. You're going to rule over two cities. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What we see a trend, unfortunately, and what I hear is that there's more and more even evangelical Christians that say that I believe in amillennialism. That is, no, all means no millennium. There's going to be no millennium, period. And to, to hold that view, and I dismiss that view, and I strongly disagree with it because you have to dismiss hundreds of verses in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, whole chapters, Revelation chapter 20. So there's going to be the thousand-year reign of Christ, and then Jesus tells of this parable, the parable of the fig tree. Let's read it, verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all the, these things, know that it is near at the doors. As surely I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So Jesus tells of a parable. Behold the fig tree. So is the fig tree the nation of Israel? It can be. 
as we've discussed in our Old Testament you know, studies, sometimes Israel is pictured as a fig tree, such as in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, that we just saw recently. Sometimes Israel is pictured as a vineyard, sometimes as an olive tree. Israel's pictured as figs, like in Jeremiah, not necessarily a fig tree. You might recall that in Matthew chapter 21, that Jesus cursed the fig tree. Remember that? That the tree had lots of leaves, but it didn't have any fruit. And we discussed that it was a picture of Jerusalem and Israel, or at least the spiritual leaders of the nation, and all their religious you know, traditions and rules and how they ruled over the people with a heavy hand. There was a lot of religiousness. There was a lot of leaves, but there was no fruit unto God. So he rebukes them. He gives that series of woes in chapter 23. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're all polished on the outward, but inwardly you're full of dead man's bones. So you have the rebirth of Israel, the fig tree coming forth, so you can put it there. So Luke records, I like what Luke records. Jesus said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When you see them budding, you know that summer is near. When you see the fig tree and all the trees put forth their leaves. In other words, the other nations that are going to play a role in end-time prophecy surrounding the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know those nations that are mentioned to us in Ezekiel 38, that, that, that war that will take place in the Middle East, which could be the next major war that's going to take place, Russia, Iran, Turkey, that are going to invade Israel, and God's going to destroy those armies. We know that there are stage-setting events that are taking place right now that that could happen very quickly. You know, the revived Roman Empire that's going to take place. What concerns me is, as I look at Scripture, is that the United States, I don't see is specifically mentioned concerning the last days. And I don't know why. But it concerns me. And we need to be praying for our nation. And we need to be praying fervently. So when you see the, the trees, when they begin to bud, you know that summer is near. We're in the time of the year that we're seeing the aspens change and the leaves changing. We know that fall is here and that winter is, is near. And in the springtime, when the trees bloom, you know, we get ready for summer, don't we? We start planting the garden, getting it ready, fertilize the lawn, get our, you know, campers ready for camping and, and plan for vacation. Now, as we look at this, verse 34, I think, has been tortured to death, this verse particularly in the last, you know, since 1948, that I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Um, that he says that when the branches already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. And what has happened is those who study end-time prophecy or read this, there have been those who have come along, particularly since 1948, and they use it as a formula to predict when the Lord's going to come back. When we see that next week, he says, no one knows the day or the hour, verse 36. Watch, therefore, you do not know the hour your Lord is coming, verse 42. Verse 44, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not expect. You know, on and on it goes in chapter 25. So the Lord makes it very clear. No one knows the day or the hour that he's going to return. And I believe, again, it's a reference to the rapture of the church. But yet there are those who will come along 
Israel became a nation in 1948. According to the children of Israel, in their wilderness wandering, a generation, it was what, 40 years? So 88 reasons why, you know, Jesus must come back in 1988. He didn't come back. Heisenhunt. They went to Israel. They went on the, you know, Feast of Trumpets, expecting to be raptured. It didn't happen. So you can buy that book really cheaply right now. <laughs> I'm sure you can't get it, but, you know, th this formula. Um, and so you have those who say, no, a generation is, if you take Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy there, there's an average of about 73 years between, you know, um, the, the, the people mentioned there, and that's a generation. Psalms chapter 90, the days of life are 70 years, by strength 80 years. If you go to Genesis, where Abraham was told that your descendants are going to be in Egypt for four generations, a generation is what, 100 years. So people come out and they start plugging in formulas. And, and I remember when we went to the year 2000, that there are those who said, well, the fig tree, the budding of the fig tree, the nation of Israel, isn't 1948, but it's 1967 when Israel took over all Jerusalem for the first time that the, the Israel, you know, sovereignly ruled over Jerusalem for the first time since 605 B.C., an absolute miracle. So that's the budding, and 40 years is 2007, so minus seven years, you know, then you have the rapture of the church at the year 2000. And that makes sense because you have the six-in-one theory that God created the world and the heavens in six days, rested on the seventh. So you have 6,000 years, 4,000 of the Old Testament, 2,000 of the New Testament. And, and now the year 2000, we have 1,000 years of rest. So the rapture's got to happen in the year 2000. I think that Jesus, as he tells this parable, is not telling us this parable so we can come up with these formulas, you know, and predict the date when the Lord's going to come back. Whenever somebody predicts the date when the Lord's going to come back, you can just dismiss it. I remember that um, it was Harold Camping a few years ago, over five years ago, got a lot of press because he predicted the day of the rapture, got a bunch of money where he put up billboards, and people were following him. And some of the, the people, you know, they're, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're, they're those that you think are pretty smart, but they're foolish to believe things like that. There is a difference between being intelligent and being foolish. And so they got a lot of press. And then we as Christians, as, you know, that believe in the rapture, the Lord can come back. We're crazy, Right. We're crazy because here it is, another prediction. And then it comes true what Peter said, that in the last days, scoffers are going to come and say, where's the coming of the Lord since your forefathers' time? Things continue as they are. Listen, don't let anyone take you away from believing that the Lord can come for us. But we don't know the day or the hour. And we don't know the day or the hour means that we're to be watching. And watching doesn't mean that you put on a white robe and stand on your roof and be looking up into heaven, you know. It means that you are wise. You're discerning of the days in which we are in. It is a commandment of the Lord. It's not a suggestion of the Lord. So we're to be watching. We are to be ready because the Lord can come for us at any time. So Jesus, as he says here, that, and, and it, this is where end time prophecy has suffered. Those who make these wild predictions or these weird interpretations, 
The other end of it is those who say, well, we don't want to talk about it. And, and we talk about it because it's in the canon of the Scripture. That it's talked about a lot in Scripture, all the way through Scripture, about the coming of the Lord and establishing his kingdom. We don't want to ignore that. So what does Jesus mean, this generation? It could be a generation that sees the manifestation of these things, these signs culminating, coming to the fullness as we see it in the book of Revelation. It could be that. Another suggestion is that this generation, this genos in the Greek, is translated race. Jesus is saying that this race, in other words, the Jewish people back in the land will not pass away, even though that it's all going to be cast down. And as Luke records, you're going to be then, as they will come, Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. You're going to be scattered to all the nations, but you're going to come back into the land. And for 2,000 years, being out of the land, they come back. They, they, even through the, the Holocaust of World War II, the Lord brings them back an absolute miracle. And Amos, which we're going to start on Wednesday night here this week, so you can listen to it online, that Amos says when they come back into the land, they're not going to be plucked out again. So it could be that, they, you know, that this group of people, the Jewish race, as they come back into the land, will not pass away until I return. It could be that as well. But he says something that I want to conclude with. That heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You know, Jesus gave a lot of, you know, or the Old Testament prophets gave a lot of, you know, prophecy concerning Jesus' first coming. It was all fulfilled by Jesus in the birth and life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every single one. Do you know that? Every dot and tittle concerning his first coming came to pass. So do you have confidence that every prophecy over 200 concerning his second coming, that it will come to pass? Absolutely. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And we can be sure that these things will come to pass. He says that all these things will take place. Not that they might, but they will take place. So what does that mean for you and for me today? Number one, that we have a glorious future ahead for us. Everything that we're seeing around us, as we see the, the sorrows, the birth pangs, it's all leading to something. And that is a glorious future for you and for me. That we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. Second of all, we don't have to be fearful. Yes, I know that we can be shaken in mind or we can be troubled in our hearts when things happen to us or things around us. And we wonder, what is it going to be like for my kids, my grandkids? But we can trust the Lord with all those things and to know this, that you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer for I have overcome the world. And we can hang on to the blessed hope that we have and keep our focus on him. Thirdly, that we can be light to others. Fourthly, do not get too enamored with this world. Because the warning is given, don't be weighed down with the cares of life even. We all got cares of life, folks. We got jobs, we got businesses that we run, you know, we got kids that we raise, all these things. But don't be weighed down to where you are just so involved in the world or enamored with the world or you're taken away from the Lord by the world. You know, the world is not your hope is what I'm saying. Jesus is your hope. And he's the hope for this nation. He's the hope for you and your family. So it leads me to the last point. If you're not right with God, get right with God today. Because he can come for us at any time. 
And Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. Coming to church will not save you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're listening online. A pastor cannot save you. Religiousness will not save you. Being religion, he wants relationship. He's calling you to repent and turn to him and ask for forgiveness. And as you do, he always hears the heart and the cry of that person who says, Lord, you are the Savior of the world. And I ask that you would forgive me because I believe you died on that cross. It's the gospel that saves. And I pray if any of you have not come to the gospel, that you would right now. As Father, we come and we thank you for this time in your word. We, we thank you for these words of Jesus, that his words will not pass away. This, this all will come to pass. It will be fulfilled. And so, Lord, I do want to pray for anyone who may be here or listening or on the radio later that you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, that the invitation is to come. It's always to come. For you to repent, to turn to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness, because we've all sinned. He came to this world and died for you because he loves you. He loves you to make provision for salvation. It comes through him alone. Coming to the cross, realizing that I'm a sinner, I need to be forgiven. And knowing that he rose from the grave and he validated what he did on the cross and dying for you, that he's the son of God. If that's you this morning, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You can come to him sincerely right now and you can say, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me personally, so forgive me, a sinner. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me and loving me and bring me to the family of God and for this new beginning. So help me to keep my eyes on you, Lord, to learn of you and walk with you all the days of my life. I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And for all of us here, that as we go through this week, that we would be salt and light, that we would be a witness for you, Lord, and to keep our eyes on you. I pray for those who are going through difficulties, that you would show yourself strong on their behalf. So, Lord, bless everyone here as we walk out these doors, knowing that you go with us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? All right. Would you please stand? I'm going to stay here to pray with anybody who needs prayer. If anybody made a decision for the Lord, I'd love to, to pray with you and talk with you. Travis is going to close this, and then we'll be dismissed. All right. Let's